Well, here we are again. It's a day before the most depressing day of the year. And it doesn't seem like long ago since we were saying that before. But the 21st of January is statistically the most depressing day of the year. It's cold, it's dark, it rains, the money has run out over Christmas, the credit card bills have come in, the chocolates have all been eaten, the weight is still being carried round. There is not much hope of spring for another six weeks. (laughs) I'm talking personally. (laughs) Talking very personally. But every year, I don't know about you, but this time of year hits me like a bit of a brick wall. And I find myself just feeling a bit like, ooh. There's several weeks to go before the weather starts to improve. You get up in the morning and the car needs de-icing. You know, you're there with the scraper. Just in case you're wondering why I drive through the manse in the morning, I do actually take Nathaniel to school before I then go in there, just in case you were wondering. But it's a long time, isn't it, before things will get better in many ways. But the human condition is such that we get buffeted around. We get buffeted around by the seasons, and not just by the seasons in terms of spring, autumn, summer, winter, but the seasons of life that we have as well. There are those times when in life we just don't know what is going to happen next. It could be to do with our job, it could be to do with our health, it could be to do with Brexit. Anybody knows what's happening with Brexit? Tell Theresa May, I'm sure she'd love to know. It could be with our mental health, and we're not sure often what the future holds. Because we don't see the whole picture. And it can be hard at times, life can be hard. You know, if we're really honest, even if today you are a disciple of Jesus and you know the hope of eternity in your heart, it can be difficult to know how to react to each and every circumstance we find ourselves. We don't see the whole picture of what God is doing. We don't know what spiritual battles sometimes are raging in the heavenlies that we have no idea of. And sometimes we don't know what to do. In the Old Testament, there are these group of writings that clump together and are known as the wisdom literature. And um, essentially because they give to us or impart to us some of the heart of God, some of the wisdom of God. And what they do is give us insight in how to grapple with the world in which we find ourselves in. And they're books like Proverbs, like Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. And over the coming few weeks, we'll be looking, not, not sort of doing one book, but looking in each of these different books, perhaps just for a chapter or a couple of chapters at a time. And what these books really do is speak into the human condition. Sometimes it's clear instructions on how to live. We'll find that when we get to Proverbs. Sometimes it's erotic love poems. I'm being brave and doing a week in Song of Songs. Just one week, but we'll see that when we get there. At other times, we get deep lament for the state of the world. And in the book Ecclesiastes that we're looking at this morning, we will find the philosophical musings of a teacher of wisdom. Yeah, I don't know about you, but sadly, I think I overlook these books all too often. You know, we we tend to focus on other books of the Bible, but this section sometimes doesn't get a look in. But actually, it has some incredibly poignant things to say about the way we live, about how we relate to one another, and how we relate to God. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, if you turn to page 644, this is chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. We could have really picked any chapter of Ecclesiastes, but the final chapter summarizes a lot of what the book um, says. It gives us a flavor of it. Um, and hopefully it'll whet your appetite for reading the whole book at some point later today. So here we go, chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. 
Before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few. And those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and no desire is stirred. It's cheerful stuff this, isn't it? Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, their collections saying like firmly embedded nails, given one by shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of every human being. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The book of Ecclesiastes is traditionally attributed to Solomon, the wise king, the son of David, although he's not actually named in the book itself. Um, Rather, the the name is given of the teacher. And so we'll we'll use that name as we go through. And if you get a chance, do read the whole of this book. It it will take you half an hour or so. Depends how fast you read, but it's about that sort of length. And um, it's a philosophical piece of writing. It deals with life. It talks about what are often the futile things of human life. It's three millennia old. So it's ancient. It's really an old book. But what we find is, although the trappings of human life have changed, the human heart hasn't. The desires of the human heart are still the same as they were. And there is this refrain that keeps on coming back through the book. Now, there are some bits of scripture that are great to sing as worship songs. This probably isn't one of them. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And this happens, this, this either refrain or this word meaningless, the, the word is used 35 times. And this refrain comes time and time again as the thinker, as the philosopher, goes round thinking about all the different parts of human life, looking about how we work, how we live, the toil that we go through, and he keeps saying, it's all meaningless. There is no meaning to anything. The pattern of the, the passage that we've just read, if you just have a quick look at it, it starts off in verse 1. Remember, in the days of your youth, remember God while you are still young. You know, when we're sort of teaching toddlers, we we teach them basic ideas of goodness from an early age, don't we? You know, say please, say thank you, learn your manners. And that happens through education, as we educate children and then into teenagers. We we try and educate them into those sort of disciplines of actually just being well-mannered and being pleasant human beings. You know, the same is true in our spiritual life. 
those patterns of behavior. If you're young today, and I'll let you decide whether you're young or not, but if you're in that bracket of calling yourself young, what you do now will often live with you, those kind of ways that you get into. And if you are young today, what an incredible encouragement. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Get into those patterns that mean that your life fits God's ways. You know, as we get older, it can get harder, can't it, to change our behavior. You know, I've noticed over the years, when I was a teenager, I, I used to do a whole variety of things. But then as I get older, I find that I don't enjoy that massive variety. I only enjoy certain things. So I do less and less, but more of the same things. Do you find you do that? And you become more ingrained in patterns of behavior. You have a cup of coffee at the same time every day. You do this, you know, you do all those things. You probably didn't do those as a kid. You just get ingrained into them. So the sooner we remember God, and the sooner we turn to his ways, the better. And then we get these seven verses describing very poetically the aging process. And it doesn't make for particularly encouraging reading, does it? It talks about the decrepit grasshopper. And then you get that image at the end of the lamp, the golden lamp, which would have been where there was oil burning in it, and the cord is cut, and the whole thing smashes on the floor. And that's the end. You know, once that's happened, there is no more to go after that. And then we get the reaffirmation at the end of that of the meaninglessness of it all. The conclusion comes, but not yet. We get a couple of other pithy sayings, including one, if anyone's studying for exams at the moment, you can take this one. Of, many, of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. What a verse of wisdom there. And then we get the final declaration. And although in some ways it's a kind of positive summary of the book, it's not that positive, really. Because what he says, the teacher says, fear God, keep his commands, because God's going to judge it all at the end. Whether you've been good or evil, God is going to judge it. And this is where, actually, as we get going into these wisdom books, we do need to be very careful. When we were um, doing the preaching course last year, one thing I kept saying was, if you're reading the Old Testament, always, always, always remember it's fulfilled in Jesus. Always read the Old Testament through the lens of Christ. We don't read those verses in despair, but we read them thinking that Jesus has taken that judgment so that we, if we are in Christ, are judged according to Christ's works, not our own. But this morning, what I want us to do with this um, chapter is to look at this meaningless refrain. Meaningless. Is it meaningless? If you get a chance to read the whole book, you'll find out he has a lot to say about this. In chapter 2, the teacher tells us that he's amassed great wealth. But his conclusion was, well, actually, it's meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. If you go and um, buy, say, a new car, does anyone research the car they're going to buy at great length before they buy it? I see a few people looking at one another and nodding. <laughs> you, know, you get your what car magazine. You say, what car is it that I need? What will fulfill the needs for this vehicle that I'm going to own? And you go into great lengths. You go and test drive cars. You look at the ones that might be appropriate. And, you know, you then buy it. And for the first few weeks, it probably makes you feel quite good every time you drive that car. But what happens over time is the thing that was exciting becomes mundane. <laughs> The thing that was mundane then becomes old. The things that were old then becomes eventually obsolete. And either the car comes to an end of its natural life or you have to get rid of it because it's become unreliable or whatever. And you start the whole process again. And what he's saying is, well, it's meaningless, isn't it? It will never satisfy us while we're going around that treadmill of looking for things that will never bring lasting um, sort of pleasure and delight to us. Chapter 2, verse 15, he says, the fate of the fool will also take 
um, will also will overtake me also, sorry. What do I mean by being wise? What do I gain by being wise? And what he's saying there is, you know, in life, sometimes seemingly foolish people who spend no time thinking about what they're doing at all are very successful. You may know people who you think of are a bit like that. They don't give God a second thought, they don't really plan their lives, and yet somehow everything seems to work out. And yet there are those who are godly, who are conscientious, who think about every decision, and life just seems to be a really hard toil. And he would say again, this is meaningless. Chapter 3, he'll talk about human, adva- human advancement. And he will say, for all, you know, we look at all the advances in technology we've had over the last hundred years. We look at all the different things that have happened, and yet we can't feed the planet. We can't even make our minds up as a country what to do with leaving the European Union. It's all meaningless. Human advancement alone is meaningless. Chapter 5, he'll talk about riches are being meaningless. Why? Because you can't take them with them. You can't take them with us, sorry. They're all meaningless. Hopefully we get the picture. Hopefully we get the picture. It's all meaningless. And the teacher's point is largely this. Without God, without any outside meaning placed upon us, our life has little purpose to us. And another of his favourite phrases is it's like chasing the wind. You try and capture this thing and yet you can't get it. You just keep running further and further away. And then in chapter 12, this bit we've just read, with these graphic descriptions of human decay, we get at least the reason why it is meaningless. Things don't last. Things don't last. Yet as human beings, we try and create meaning for ourselves, don't we? We all do it. Think about these people. The scientists will try and create meaning and purpose in life by discovering questions of how and what, looking at the world around and asking those kind of questions. The musician will try and create meaning to life by singing, by taking sort of random sounds, putting them together and saying, actually, this has emotion and purpose to it. This is meaningful. The chef will take the mundaneness of everyday food and turn it into an art form and says, this has meaning to it. The materialist will get all this stuff and say, I have amassed all this wealth and I have created meaning. Yeah, I don't know if you can see that on that cartoon. Stood on the pile of stuff saying, I'm still not happy. We could go on. But when all is said and done, without God in the picture, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. Life was never meant to be like this, was it? This was not God's plan for human beings. Genesis 1 to 3, we get a fleeting glimpse of what God had planned for humanity. And it's an incredibly beautiful picture. It's a picture of us in perfect relationship with God, of us in perfect relationship with one another, in perfect relationship with the animals and plants on the world, and the world in a completely sustainable way of being. But the problem is, once you get to Genesis chapter 3, it all goes wrong. Adam and Eve rebel against God. We've been living in that rebellion ever since. The rot sets in. The ground itself produces weeds and problems. The curse of decay is now all around us. And once we rebel against God, you know, what is rebellion against God? Well, it's doing things that God doesn't want us to do. Living in ways that God doesn't want us to live. About loving anything more than God. About loving ourselves more than our neighbour. Doing the contrary to what God has said. When that happens, we continue that rebellion. We can't save ourselves. 
we can't get out of that rebellion. First part of Romans 6, verse 23, simply says the wages of sin is death. The result of all this is that we die. And the result of that is that everything we do, without reference to God, the teacher of Ecclesiastes says, is meaningless, pointless. Death brings to us that temporary nature of human existence. When I was in my um, teens, when I was 18, I took a year out. And the reason I took a year out was because I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I thought, well, take a year, think about it, pray about it, and then decide on the sort of future direction of life. At 18, I felt like I had centuries to go. I felt that I was almost immortal. Almost. Because you can't conceive those decades ahead of you. Now as I'm getting closer to my mid-40s, those decades, well, hopefully there's still a few of them, but that time is reducing. That time is getting shorter. And we realize that actually our life is temporary. It is but a fleeting breath. It isn't going to go on and on forever. Everything we do is temporary. I wonder today, if you ever get that sense of, I wonder what life is all for. Do you ever ask that question? What am I doing all this stuff for? Found this, I like this. There are some days when either me or Claire are cooking and we'll turn to one another and say, do you ever get bored with this? Do you ever just get bored with having to cook a meal that you then eat? And then four or five hours later, you do the whole thing again. And then the next day, you do the whole thing again. Then you do it again. Because if you don't do it, we can't live. But we have to do it. And it just becomes this kind of ongoing sort of thing. You know, we have been robbed of meaning. Sin has robbed us. And we just end up, if you like, the writer will tell us, the teacher will tell us, on this kind of hamster wheel of just going through toil, going through the motions. Now, he's not, not all doom and gloom. He will say, you might find enjoyment in your work. You might find enjoyment in relationships. If you do, that is fantastic. And he also says this. Now, this is an amazing verse. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. We've been made not only with that sense of um, meaninglessness at times, without God, but he has also put inside us a longing for things eternal. It's almost as if the human being has been given a magnet that draws us to God. We have been made with longings of eternity. But without that bigger picture, we're back on the meaningless treadmill. If today you feel that your life is like that, don't worry, there is good news coming. There is good news coming. Even the teacher's conclusion at the end of this chapter, fear God and keep his commands, without Christ only leads to judgment. But with Christ, actually we start to see the tables are turned. One of the key messages of the cross, of remembering what Jesus has done, is that God loves us. We heard that from Romans earlier, you know, that most famous verse of the New Testament, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's about love, it's about what God has done for us. When we know that somebody else loves us, that gives us a sense of meaning, gives us a sense of value, and gives us a sense of worth. Our meaning is not in isolation from God. 
if we take God out of the picture, we are just literally going around that never-ending hamster wheel. But when we start to put God back in, then things start to change. The love of God is supremely shown through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. The death of Christ, the defeat of sin that we remember in communion, is the point at which our meaninglessness, our futility, the brokenness, the fall that created that meaninglessness, is taken onto Jesus himself. Our futility, our rebellion is taken. And so something different can be birthed in us. A life which has purpose. A life which has a new identity. A life which comes off that hamster wheel of just going through those motions day after day. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18, and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons, sorry, that should say sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. <coughs> new titles, new identity, no longer meaningless, but welcomed into God's family. And judge not, as the writer says at the end here, through our own works, but through what Jesus has done. And we're called to serve Christ and his gospel. Building up treasures, not for this earth, but for the life that is to come. Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. God wants to give us lives that have meaning and purpose. But you know, this is where I think the, the crux of the matter comes. It's very easy for me as a preacher to say, life's meaningless, it's awful, this is what the writer says, but here's a few nice Bible verses, now life is full of meaning. If only it was that simple. If only it was that simple. If only we could just rattle off three Bible verses and suddenly everything starts to take on a new direction. You know, one thing I've learned through life is that life often isn't simple. Life often isn't simple. Life is often a lot about living and learning. That's what discipleship is about, isn't it? Jesus didn't say, follow me, and suddenly everything will be brilliant and wonderful and absolutely fantastic all of the time. He just said, follow me, come after me, do the things that I do, learn to step behind me, learn to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And this is about discipleship. It's about becoming like God. Today, if we're really honest with ourselves, I would imagine many of us still live with that tension of at times feeling meaningless and pointless, but then at other times knowing the identity that Christ has given us and the work to which we have been called. Even if today we are disciples of Jesus and we know those titles which we've been given, and the purpose to which we've been called in serving God. It can still be very easy to try and find our primary focus in things like a good job, a good pension, friends, family, a nice home, a car, holidays, all those kind of things. Now, I'm sure the writer of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, would say, well, those things can be a blessing as well. You know, don't think that those things are necessarily all bad. But actually, those are not the things that are going to give us meaning. If they become our focus of meaning, then we will drift. If as a disciple of Jesus, we start thinking these are the things that really matter in life and these are the things that are going to give me that sense of purpose, then actually we will become very dissatisfied very quickly. What the writers of the New Testament will say, what Paul will say in Romans chapter 12, is actually our whole life can be lived out as worship. All these things that seemingly 
look meaningless if we take God out of the picture can suddenly be done as worship. What does it mean to worship as you cook? I'll leave you to ponder that one. Or dust. Don't ponder that one. What does it mean to worship God in your workplace? What does it mean to worship God as you go on the school run? As you drop your friends off? Whatever it might be, those things in life that we do, what does it mean to worship in those settings? Where is your meaning today? Where are you rooted? Where are you rooted? Jesus told a very famous story in Matthew chapter 7 about wise and foolish builders. I'll just read um, the story to you. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Just a couple of things to notice from that story, and it is a well-known story. Both those men are builders. They were in the business of building houses. All of us in this room today have constructed our life in some way. We do try and derive some kind of meaning from the things that we do, however we do it. All of us build. Both are constructing places to live. These are houses. These are not museums or art galleries or anything. These are houses. These are places where human beings live. These are the things of life that they're building. The difference is, one of them roots their life into the things and the words and the actions of God himself. The other one just builds it on stuff that will go away, that will sink away. The call to live, the call to have a life of meaning, is to root our life deeper and deeper into Christ and to learn at a deeper level what it means to follow him. It's not a flick of a switch, but it's a lifelong learning. And the sooner we start it, the better. The easier that process becomes. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. We know in God's economy, that can be any day. You don't need to be physically young to do that. It can be done at any point in our lives to say, God, I realize that actually I've been creating a life with the wrong kind of meaning. I want to reorder my life and put it into your way of being. So I just want to leave us very briefly with three questions. How could our new names as disciples of Jesus give us meaning this morning? Do you have a sense of meaning in life because of what Jesus has done? Do you have a sense of meaning? I'm hoping that that is the answer is yes. If you do, can I encourage you just to keep meditating on that? To keep thinking on that? Think about those new names that we have been given as children of God. Forgiven, accepted. Do you remember them all from Ephesians that we looked at last term? Second thing. What is God saying about where you are looking for a sense of meaning? It can be very easy to answer that first question, sort of, yes, God is my sense of meaning, and yet then to flit around looking for meaning elsewhere as well. Even if we know that it will be dissatisfying. We can still do it. I still do it. You know, I think we can all still do that. Is God saying anything to you about sort of reordering that sense of meaning today? Are you chasing things that could be meaningless, rather than seeking after Christ himself. Now we can turn this, and we can have this all as theory, 
but what about on a day-to-day basis? Is God speaking to you today about things that actually need to change in life? I don't know what those things are. I don't need to know what those things are. You do. God knows. Will you be open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit as he challenges our life to bring it back into his way? Because it's only in his way that we get rid of that refrain that says, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And we actually bring it in line where it says everything can be done as worship to Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray, shall we? I'm going to leave those questions on the screen just for a moment. Let's have a few moments of silence as you reflect on what that could mean for you, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Jesus calls us to build treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth that will get destroyed. Lord, I want to pray that as we've looked at what is not an easy book in many ways, what is not an easy theme about the meaninglessness and the futility of human existence without you, Lord, I want to pray that you'll encourage us again to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. I want to pray that you'll remind us again of those titles you've given us, titles of meaning and purpose. Lord, would you remind us again of that commission that you've given us to go make disciples of all nations. Just reminded of what we were looking at last week with that manifesto in Luke's Gospel. Lord, put us to your will, will you? Put us to your service, we pray. There may be those of us here this morning who actually, if we're really honest, we know God has called us to something, but at the moment we're too busy creating our own sense of meaning, that we're neglecting to go down the road that God has called us. If that's you this morning, can I really encourage you to just make yourself available to God and for his kingdom purposes? Holy Spirit, would you convict, would you encourage, would you change, would you challenge us? Help us just to surrender our lives again to your purpose. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Lord, we thank you as well also for those amazing pictures at the end of Revelation where we see the restoration of all things. And where we see that, again, we will be with you forever and ever. 
and our meaning, our identity, everything will be fully found in you for all time. Keep our eyes fixed on you, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen.